G'day everyone, how are you? What a beautiful day it was today. Wasn't it just glorious? I spent half the day at the beach. It's great to see you. And for those watching online, it's great to uh, have you with us, whether you're in Perth or Uganda or Bahrain or wherever you might be. Who here has seen the Netflix series, The Crown? Who's seen it? Yeah, quite a few of you. It's a historical drama about the reign of Queen Elizabeth II. Who liked it? Who doesn't care about the royal family? Right? 73 million Netflix accounts have watched this show. It's held the, it's held the position of most popular show on Netflix. Can anyone guess the critics' rating for this movie... Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. So we have, anyone guess, it's out of 100. Anyone th know what the critics' ratings was? Have a guess? Close, 90%. Uh, and that's pretty good for critics. How about the audience rating? Let's show it, 91%. They loved it. Queen Elizabeth, the real Queen Elizabeth, she reportedly loves it, right? She loves it. Now, why is it so popular, do you think? Why is it so popular? Well, people are really curious about the private lives behind the public persona of royals, right? They love the intrigue. Maybe it's also because the royal family's a bit of a car wreck, don't you think? And people love to slow down at the scene of an accident to look at car wrecks. They don't mean to stare, but they just can't look. Now, I'm not one of the 73 million plus that's seen the show. I get bombarded with enough royal stuff, royalty stuff from, on my news feed. But the thing about kings and queens today is that they don't have the same kind of power as kings and queens of old, do they? Now, Queen Elizabeth, she has a little bit of power. Do you know there are some things that she can do that no one else in England can do. Did you know that? She doesn't have to drive with a license. She can ignore speed limits when she has an official escort. She doesn't have to pay taxes. And she can celebrate two birthdays a year. All right? So that's kind of cool. But apart from that, her power is merely ceremonial and toothless. But you compare that to the kings and queens of old. Right? When they had absolute power. If you were a subject, you had to pledge your absolute allegiance to the king and queen. Right? The king and queen made the laws, not the government. You paid your taxes to the king and queen. The king and queen dispensed justice, or at least were supposed to. The king and queen executed criminals. Now, it's important for us to remember that because with our modern minds, we forget that's what kings and queens are all about. And when we think of kings and queens, we think of Queen Elizabeth, whose power is merely toothless. It's important to rem remember that because when you, when you come to the Bible, the Bible talks about kings and queens all the time, and the Bible states that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, right? God took on a human nature was born in a cradle, he, d he died on the shameful cross, 
He rose again and was crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's a great summary of our gospel. Cradle, cross, crown. But what does it mean that Jesus is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Does it mean he's a bit like Queen Elizabeth II, whose power is just toothless and we can just ignore him? What I want us to see today is that because of the resurrection, which we celebrated last Sunday, because of the resurrection, Jesus has been crowned the all-powerful king over all. And he, he summons every person on the planet to shift their allegiance to him and to bow their knee to him in every area of their lives because he is king of kings and lord of lords. Now, what should that look like in your life? What should that look like in your life that you give your complete allegiance to Jesus Christ, the King of Kings? That's a really important question to know the answer to, don't you think? We're going to be looking at that today. Before we do that, I'm going to lead us in prayer. We're going to pray for three things. We're going to pray for the Ukrainian relief appeal. We're going to pray for the search for the next senior pastor and the, the uh, interviews are coming up very soon. And we're going to pray for Pastor Ben and Sherry who are now in Texas with their family. So please join me as we pray. Father, we do pray that the war in the Ukraine will come to a swift end. We pray, Lord, that the Russians would put down their guns. Father, we pray for the international efforts and it's particularly the International Church of the Bucharest, Ukraine's relief appeal. We thank you for the work that they're doing and for all the other organisations that are working hard to welcome refugees in to care for them. But we do pray particularly for the International Church of Bucharest, Ukraine Relief Appeal. We pray, Lord God, that the money that is raised will help them to purchase medicine, food, fuel, to heat up homes for those still in the Ukraine, to refuel vehicles that are regularly transporting Ukrainian refugees to Romania, to provide lodging, food and aid for refugees once they arrive in Romania. We thank you for the work that these Christians are doing and we pray, Lord, as Christians welcome refugees in, that those refugees would experience your love and your welcome. They would hear about the Lord Jesus and put their faith in him. Secondly, Father, we do pray for the search for the next senior pastor of this church. We know, Lord, it's an important role and we ask, Lord, that the, the man that you have chosen that that would become apparent to those who are uh, doing the interviews and those who are selecting. And so, Lord, we commit that important decision to you. And, Father, we do pray for Pastor Ben and Sherry as they are now with their elderly parents over in the States. We ask, Lord, that uh, you would give them a great time together. Father, that they might be able to get some affairs in order that I know they need to get in order. We pray, Lord, that you would refresh them and bring them back uh, ready to take on the next uh, part of this year and so we commit these things to you father we pray that you'd be with us right now 
Father, we don't want to be people that listen to your word and walk away and forget what it said and don't put it into practice. We don't want to be people that look in the mirror, forget what we look like. We want to be people that hear your word and put it into practice as your obedient disciples. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd be with us and enable us to do that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in most of the gospel presentations that I hear, Jesus' resurrection is kind of tacked on the end. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. People will say, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So far, so good. But then they'll say, well, he didn't stay dead, he's still alive. And that's pretty much it, just tacked on the end. But that's not how it was when the apostles preached the gospel. In our record of the apostles preaching in the book of Acts, which we'll look at in just a moment, the resurrection is the centerpiece of their gospel presentation. It's the centerpiece of their gospel presentation. It's the linchpin of the gospel. Now here's a summary of the Acts preaching in the book of Acts. Now, although all these themes are integral to a presentation of the gospel, you can see that there's one theme, the resurrection of Jesus, that appears in every recorded presentation of the gospel by the apostles. And it's clearly the motivation, when you read the book of Acts, it's clearly the motivation that drives the apostles to give up their lives and go to the ends of the earth to tell people about Jesus. In fact, Act, the book of Acts summarizes the apostles' preaching as this. What would you think they would su Acts would summarize the preaching of the apostles as? This is how they do it. This is how the book does it. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I think we've got the next slide there. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's how they summarize it. Paul's reputation was as the one who was... Next slide. Preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That's his reputation. And he was arrested and he was put on trial because of his belief in the resurrection. Does that surprise you? I've got a quick quiz question for you. Bible, not Bible trivia, but Bible knowledge. Which of the following names in the Bible occurs the most often? Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus. Just think to yourself, what do you think occurs most often? Well, the answer is David. Does that surprise you? Now, it's a bit of a trick question because if you count the number of times both Jesus and Christ appear, then he's the winner, as you'd expect. But otherwise, it's David. There's more Davids than Jesus in the Bible. Now, why is that? Why the emphasis on David? Well, the answer lies in God's promises. God promised King David, if you remember, that one of his sons would sit on the throne of God's kingdom forever. Not just a long time, but forever. And so this son of David became the hope of Israel. 
and by extension became the hope of the world. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that demonstrates that Jesus is this son of David and that he is the one who sits on God's throne forever. How does the resurrection demonstrate that? And why is this the linchpin? Well, we're going to hear straight from the mouth of Peter. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. We're going to read from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, this is in Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Please be seated. So David quotes Psalm 16. David writes Psalm 16. Thank you. Psalm 16 likely speaks of a time when David is facing death from an adversary. And so God swoops in and rescues David, and so David writes this psalm. But we know that David eventually did die, right? His bones are in the ground. So when he says, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, and you will not let your Holy One see decay, he must have been speaking about someone other than himself because he died. And the Apostle Peter says, yes, he was speaking about someone else. In verse 30, he says, God promised him on oath, David on oath, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead and did not see his body, did not, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. So it's the Messiah who would ultimately not be abandoned to the grave. His body would not see decay. And so it's Jesus' resurrection from the dead that demonstrates that he is the Messiah. Right? He is the son of David, born in the bloodline of King David. He is the greater David who defeated death and now sits on God's throne forever. It's the resurrection that demonstrates that. Peter goes on, For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said... And he's, this is Psalm 110, and this is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. A really important messianic psalm for you to kind of try and get your head around. The Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, Adonai, 
master and the only master of King David is the king of kings to come. So Yahweh says to the Messiah, sit at my right hand. David speaks of this future king who will not just have an earthly rule, but will actually sit at the right hand of God and have an everlasting rule. Again, it's the resurrection that demonstrates that Jesus is the one who sits at God's right hand. We, read in our, we heard read in our reading this evening that after Jesus' resurrection, he stayed on earth, taught about the kingdom of God for 40 days. And then what happens? He gets taken up into the clouds. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, when a new king or queen comes to power, we say that they have ascended the throne, don't we? And at some point, they do actually walk up a few steps and sit on a fancy-looking throne like this. Right, this is from Game of Thrones. So they, they do walk up some steps and they do sit on a throne, which what? It symbolises that they have risen to power. They're higher than everyone else. Right? It symbolises that they've risen to power. So when Jesus ascends above the clouds, I think we've got a picture of this, when he ascends above the clouds, it's not because heaven is physically above the clouds. He is symbolising that he rules over everything. He rules over every nation, over every power, over every authority. He rules over every person. He rules over you. He rules over me. There's no one, there's nothing that is excluded from his rule. That's the ascension. That's, theologically, that's called the ascension, symbolising that he rules over everything. And Peter goes on in verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now, you might be scratching your head. You might be thinking, well, hang on. He was, Lord and, he was called Lord and Messiah when he was born, right? That's true, but the full authority of these titles is not granted to Jesus until he has lived that perfect, obedient life, he suffered on the cross and then risen from the dead. And then those full titles, the full authority of those titles, is granted to Jesus. So Jesus comes as the son of David, and if you know your Old Testament, when the son of David comes, that coincides with the coming of the day of the Lord, which is a great day when God will save his people and judge the world. And with, with the resurrection of Jesus, that the day of the Lord arrives, and Jesus is that judge. The Apostle Paul, he says this to a group of pagans, right? They don't know their Bibles. They've never opened a Bible. He says to them in Athens, in Acts chapter 17, he says this, God commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Right? So Paul is saying to this group of pagans, Athenians, he's saying the most important person in the world that you need to listen to is not the Roman Emperor Caesar. It's not your famous philosophers that you love to listen to, Socrates, Plato. He's saying the most important person in the world for you to listen to 
is the man who's been raised from the dead and who will judge the world, and his name is Jesus. And Paul says to you and to me, he says, the most important person in the world for you to listen to is not the President of the United States, it's not Chairman Xi Jinping, it's not the richest men in the world, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk, it's not YouTube influencers or you know, Instagram influencers like Kim Kardashian, the most important person in the world for you to listen to, says Paul, is the man who's been raised from the dead and will judge the world and will judge you. And his name is Jesus. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, oh, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. So the reaction to the gospel varies, as it often does, from contempt to curiosity to conversion. And notice that people are judging the resurrection of Jesus. Hmm, I don't know about this resurrection. I don't know, I don't know how true that is. And Paul says, be very careful when you judge Jesus, because when you judge Jesus, you're judging the judge who will one day judge you. So the gospel, the big news, the big news that affects the life of every single person on the planet, that's got to go out to every single person on the planet, is that Jesus Christ is the resurrected king. That's the gospel. That's the news. Now, that explains why when Jesus preached the gospel, he spoke about what? The kingdom of God. And with the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom has arrived. The king has come. Now, the way the king came was a way that no, no one expected, right? The way the king came was a way that no one expected. The Jews expected an, an Arnold Schwarzenegger to come and blow away their enemies. They wanted a military king. They wanted a political king. But Jesus didn't gather an army. He didn't, he didn't blow away the Romans. In fact, he allowed himself to be executed by the very nation that the Jews were hoping the Messiah would overthrow. Why? Because the enemy that he came to defeat was not the enemy they thought that he came to defeat. The enemy that he came to defeat was what? Sin within, ground zero for all the world's problems, right? You want to write a list of the top 50 problems in the world, ground zero, sin. And the only way that Jesus could defeat sin was not through a sword or through a gun. The only way he could defeat it was by dying on the cross. He came in a way that no one expected. The king came in a way that no one expected. Even though we've sinned against God, we deserve his wrath, the king steps in and the king purchases our pardon with his own blood. What king does that? What king purchases his subject's pardon with his own blood? He is the resurrected king. He is our saviour king. So without the work of the Lord on the cross, he cannot defeat sin, he cannot defeat death. There can be no victory, therefore there can be no resurrection. So the cross and the resurrection are hand in hand, but it appears to be in the New Testament that the thing you say first is Jesus is king. And the thing you say second is the king offers you a pardon. Come and take it. 
Peter says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're on the wrong side of the king, what do you got to do? Get on the right side of the king, right? Turn from living against the king to turn to live for the king. Now, many gospel presentations that I hear, repent is not there. Why is that? Well, it can be lots of reasons. I think one, one is we don't like to say anything negative to people about their lives, do we? We don't want to say, hey, God says your life is going the wrong way. You've got to change. We don't like saying that. You're actually, the way you're going, you're going to end up in hell. You've got to turn around. We don't like saying that. People are like, how dare you say that about my life? And you're like, well, I'm not saying it. God's saying it. He's warning you out of love. The response to the gospel has got to be both repent and believe. It's got to be repent. Jesus is the king. You need to repent. You need to turn. But the king died for you and purchased your pardon with his blood. Believe in that. Pastor John MacArthur, he says this, Although salvation is a blessed gift, Christ will not give it to one whose hands are filled with other things. Those who are not willing to turn from sin, possessions, false religion or selfishness will find they cannot turn to Christ in faith. I want to conclude with just with some final thoughts. I was reading a verse in the Old Testament recently. I just wanted to share it with you. I'm not sure if you've read this recently, but it, uh, it really resonated with me. It's from 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 21. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Like, what? And then it just continues on as if nothing much happened. As we live, in our planet, as we live on our planet, we experience that we live on a broken, sick planet, don't we? Our world is, is seriously broken and sick. The only hope for our world is God's power to resurrect and restore. That's the only hope. It's God's power to resurrect. The only hope for our world. And Peter says that in chapter 3. Heaven must receive Jesus until the time comes for God to restore everything. Jesus coming back to life has set in motion a process of renewal and one day he's going to return and boom, he's going to transform this sick, broken world into a new heavens and a new earth and he's going to establish his kingdom. That's why the early church, they chose to worship not on the Friday when Jesus died, Right? But on a Sunday, when he rose again. Every Sunday is a, is, a, is a celebratory reminder that Jesus has risen from the dead. He's reigning and he's going to return to restore and renew. So God took on a human nature. 
He was born in a cradle. He died on a shameful cross. He was crowned as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Cradle, cross, crown. That's our gospel. And the gospel is a summons for every person on this planet to shift their allegiance to Jesus. It's a, it's a summons for every person on the planet to live very differently from how they were living before they knew that Jesus was King of Kings and Lord of Lords, right? So when I, I want to finish just asking you a couple of questions for you to ponder. And, and when you share the gospel with others, do you tell them that Jesus is the King? He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that they've been living in a way that's opposed the king and they need to repent. Even though it's a hard thing to say. And you tell them that the king, this king, purchased their pardon with his own blood. That's how much he loves them. That's how much he cares for them. He purchased their pardon with his own blood. And does Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, does he have your total allegiance? And what does that look like in your life? That Jesus has your total allegiance in every area of your life, in your thought life, in your speech, in your actions. Does he have your total allegiance? Do you live very differently from those around you who don't believe that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Just think about your neighbour either side of you. Do you live differently from them because you believe that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Do I? Is there anything in your life right now that's stopping you give your full allegiance to Jesus? What is it? What do you need to get rid of? What do you need to take out of your life? What do you need to turn from? What do I need to turn from and take out of my life? So I give him my full allegiance, not 98% of my allegiance, not even 99%, but 100% of my allegiance to Jesus. What does that look like in your life? What do you need to let go of right now? Because the Lord asks us to let go of it. He asks us right now to repent and to give him our total allegiance because he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. That despite being King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you purchased our pardon with your blood. Thank you that you offer us a pardon. Thank you that you allow us into your kingdom. And Father, we, we want to be part of your kingdom and we want to live for you with all that we have. Help us to see the areas in our lives which we need to change, which we need to repent of. Those things that we're holding back. Those things we know in our lives are not pleasing to you. Lord, help us to get rid of them.
we'll just continue as we go into a time of communion. We'll just continue in this time of uh, time before the Lord. Just spend a few next few moments just thinking about your life. God took on a human nature, was born in a cradle. He died on a shameful cross to offer us a pardon. He was crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. And we come now to remember that shameful cross and that pardon that he offers us, purchased with his own blood. What king does that for his subjects? The saviour king. His name is Jesus. Father, we're sorry for the things that we've done in the past week that have not pleased you. We bring them before you right now. We thank you that you are our saviour king who pardons us, Lord. And Thank you for that assurance that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. We don't take your grace for granted, Lord, but your grace motivates us to live for you just that bit more this week. I pray, Lord, as we take the bread and we take the cup this evening that we would remember your great pardon for us and that we would live for you as our King this week in Jesus' name. Amen.